All right, let's catch up. Uh, for our first-time guests this morning and for those who fell asleep through parts one and two, here's a real quick recap. Uh, in week one, hit that next slide there. In week one, we looked at the idea of letting God give you a new name, really a new self. And the idea was that you shouldn't probably choose your own name. Um, you probably chose the first name or somebody else chose it for you. Um, let him choose your new name. Let him give you a new identity. And then in week two, we found out that we needed this new self um, because this mission that we're on, this, this new covenant family that Christ is inviting us into um, is all-inclusive, right? It, it, it's, it's worldwide. Um, our little parochial, our little, you know, my little city, my little state, my little people, uh, that's not going to work for the mission that, that we've been given by God through Christ. We're to love the entire world world, not just people like us, who look like us, sound like us, dress like us, sing like us, right? Um, and today we want to talk about taking a stand, taking a hike in Sobre Mesa. So what I want to do is I want to start with our key passage, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, for we are co-workers in God's service, you are God's field and God's building. Um, what I want to do to you, with you this morning first is um, introduce you to some folks who claim to be our co-workers. Right? They, they claim to be our co-workers, um, and what I notice is, is a lot of them are actually, whether you agree with them or not, they're expanding the partnership, right? They're going into places nobody else is going. Uh, hit the first one there. One of our co-workers is now Kanye West. I don't know if you're aware of that. How many of you recognize this, this name, Kanye West? Right? He's quite a rap artist. He's uh, into hip-hop, and he's into just a crazy amount of stuff. Well, recently, something happened. I understand it might have been in Paris when, his, when Kim, his wife, was attacked. Something happened, um, and Kanye West has been putting on gospel services. And at the beginning, <laughs> I'm like, oh, he's trying to make a buck because he's always short on money, apparently. And I just think, you know, I was like, uh, right? You know, Kanye West, oh, oh yeah, well, all right, or whatever. Well, how about Joel Osteen? Right? I know some of you are like, prosperity, gospel, name it, claim it. By the way, Kanye is speaking at Lakewood. Either this week or a, a week coming up, I was reading that. I found that interesting. Um, we have Brian Welch from the band Corn. We've, we've mentioned him before. Um, this guy is committed to sharing Jesus Christ with people. Now, you look at him and you think, no, he's going to share a knife with you. <laughs> and actually, he's going to give you a knife. It's not going to be shared, right? But, but this guy is like, he is sold out. He's on, he's on the internet all the time just talking really wise, wise words to the church and how the church treats people like him. Right? He's been very vocal and very, very loving. I, I've, been, I've loved his statements. Um, or else we have, uh, hit that next one, we have Gary Busey. <laughs> Okay, so, so, um, no, no, stop. <laughs> he loves Jesus, so just stop it. So we invited him to our church in Fairfield. He was our guest speaker. And we had a huge crowd. Um, he told the people, and I know Pastor John and I were standing in the back of the audience, our jaws are on the ground. He's telling the people that their soul is in a little slot, a one inch, two inches tall by half an inch wide. And, and this was right before the year 2000. This was like 1999. And in that year, the government is going to steal your soul. And, and, that, that's, and he's telling the, our crowd this. And we're just like, oh my goodness, the emails that we're going to get in the morning. Now, here's the crazy thing. Take a wild guess at how many people found Christ that morning compared to all of our other services and speakers. 
all we, it was a crazy number, but, and we summed it up like he spoke the language of the people. If you got some preacher in there with slick back hair and white patent leather shoes, the guy would be eaten alive. It just wouldn't have worked. Um, but Gary Busey, man, he's, 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 he was crazy, but he spoke. <laughs> I'm trying to say this as nice as I can, right? He was amazing. So many people came to Christ through him. We didn't ever have him back, but... Um, <laughs> And I'm sure you've heard of all the Hollywood opinions about Christianity. You know, I heard one, Jesus loves me, and it's okay if I sleep with everybody because Jesus still loves me. And I thought, well, yeah, that, that's true. There's a little bit more to that, but she's on to something. Jesus loves me, and that's a beautiful place to start. Why are we bagging on her? Well, <laughs> now, is their theology, any of these people, are any of their theology spot on? Opinions vary. Let's just leave it at that. Don't raise your hand. Don't say anything. Opinions vary. Let's take it a step further. Is any of their theology absolutely cockeyed Looney Tunes crazy? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> As I listen to them, I'm just thinking, oh, wow. That's interesting. Very interesting. Um, and we're going to talk about that, what to do about false teachers and, and, and what to do with false teachers. But here's the strange bottom line. These folks appear to be advancing the kingdom and expanding the partnership. People are finding, and that's my proof, is that people are finding Jesus. How can you argue? Right? You, you, you really kind of got to just stop and stop talking. Right? And stop directing your comments to these people who, who you don't agree with. I don't agree with them. I, I promise you I don't agree with them. Um, but they're reaching people. They're speaking in a way that people that if I spoke to them, they wouldn't understand. Um, these folks, they, they have a language and they, they have a crowd that responds um, to their language. Um, on the other hand, we have people, we have this whole thing making the news right now. John MacArthur, uh, great writer. Um, Beth Moore, we, we, right here in this church, we're using a little bit of John MacArthur, a little bit of Beth Moore. Um, they're Reformed theology, but that's okay. They love Jesus. But John MacArthur comes out, and, and again, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying not to bag on him, but he's kind of cut by saying that women can't lead. You know, he's, he's cut the partnership by 50% worldwide just with that statement. I, kept, I couldn't help but thinking. Now, now, again, there are people in this room who fully agree with, with his stance, and, and that is great. That's what I love about the Nazarene church. The Nazarene church says, look, as long as you believe Christ risen and Christ, crucified and Christ risen, we really don't care about all the other details. You can be a premillennial. You can be post. You can be this. You can be that. You can believe in a 5,000-year-old. You can do a 5 million. It doesn't matter as long as you believe Christ crucified and Christ risen. That the Nazarene church, we have unity in the essentials and freedom in non-essentials. A lot of this stuff, um, you can go either way, and, and, and that's, that's fine. You can agree or disagree. And, and I'm not even mentioning, right, gay clergy uniting gay couples in marriage. Alex has surgery and becomes Alexis. The Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, Rastafarians. I mean, my point is this. How do we know who's right and correct? And, and more importantly, by how much? Do any of these groups, and including us, do we really believe that we've got a lock on the truth, that we got a corner on the truth market? Do we Nazarenes believe that? I, I hope not. I hope we're nailing a, a bunch of stuff, right? But I can't help but think that there's a lot of other denominations and a lot of other distinctives that probably something's going on there. Something is going on there. Um, and so, so how, how do we know who's right, who's correct, and by how much? Um, what should our stance be in our posture? Do we, like, double down? You know, 
John MacArthur, oh, no, you can't, uh, or do we kind of go with some of these other folks and live and let live, right? Hey, more power to you, and where as Christians should we stand in this incredible landscape of people representing Jesus? I mean, there's a wide range of people representing Jesus, and a lot of the messages don't look like our message at all. So where do we stand? And I believe that part of the answer is a conversation that I had at summer camp one year. And after the story, I'm gonna, we're going to have our worship team come back up, and I'm going to ask you just to spend some time singing praises to our Lord and Savior, but also considering, um, are there people groups who, who say they represent Christ and you have issues with them? Here's my suggestion. By way of a story, so I'm at summer camp, and I'm, I'm the director, and we have a gazebo, and we have a field, and all the kids are playing field games, you know, whatever, and we have Blindside. Uh, anyone know Blindside, the music? It's a Christian band. It's a scream band. You know, they scream. You can't understand what they're saying. I, I can't understand what they're saying, and we got the music cranked because we're allowed to because it's high school camp cranked and this guy comes from the cabin in the woods like on the other side of the street he comes up and I kind of see him out of the corner of my eye and I'm wondering what he's doing he walks into our gazebo and <laughs> well there wasn't an album because I don't I don't know what it was but he, he he killed the sound and I'm like who are you and what are you doing and I went over and I talked to him I said hey who are you and what are you doing he says well I will not allow satanic music in this church i the music, it, it sure is. Listen to that. You, you can't tell me. And so we, we I mean, I, I, was, I was getting shaky. I was so angry that this man had come in and shut down my sound system for my camp. And I was, I was just shaking. And all of a sudden, I, I don't know what it was, but I just thought, you know what? Let's be reasonable. And I said, hey, I can't remember his name. Uh, how about if I get the jacket lyrics to these songs? I promise you, you and I can't understand what the singer's singing, but I guarantee you these kids out on the field, they know these lyrics. They've looked it up. They know these lyrics. And I showed him the lyrics, and he was just like... It's like he, he couldn't reconcile the sound with really godly lyrics. He couldn't recognize, and I don't know if it's because he had never been in the situation that some of these singers have been in, the, the abuse that they've faced, the, inner, the, the turmoil that, that comes out in their screaming and, 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 and their music, and, and maybe he had never experienced that, so he simply didn't understand it. But as we sat there and talked, he finally, I calmed down, he calmed down, he walked away, and he just said, I, I don't 100% agree with you, but you've given me good food for thought. And we saw each other for the rest of the week, and we were friendly, because it could have been ugly the rest of the week, right, if I had really let my anger. Um, and, and just what, what, what got me is just sitting down and talking with somebody face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, stripped away everything that we like to build up about the people we don't like, because it's usually um, things that we attach to, and we create non-people out of them. We, we, we create a group, and then we can attach all these uh, feelings and emotions to them. But once we see them eye-to-eye, all that falls away, because then they become people. Not, a, not an idea, not a political statement, not, a, a, not a, a crazy Looney Tunes idea, but they're a person. And as you look at them eye to eyeball and they explain why they believe what they believe, you just go, man, if I'd lived through that, I'd believe the same thing. And then I understand them. 
So I want to challenge you this morning. If there are people, as you watched all these things and you developed some opinions, and some of you might have even gotten warm under the collar, um, lay that at the foot of the cross this morning. We're going to enter a time of prayer here. We are called to work beside these people, as we're going to find out this morning. These are our co-workers. And Paul gives us some really good advice on how to deal with all of that. And so we're going to look at that in just a few minutes here. But if our, our worship team would come back up here. And, and I just want to lead us all in, in prayer. Um, like I say every week, if, if you've come here <laughs> and God has told you, hey, I, I need you praying for this person. I need you to lift up. Do that right now. Don't ignore that. Um, but if you have some time this morning as, as we sing praises, lift up your thoughts and feelings towards some of these people that you might look at and go, no, no, sorry. When I was in Romania, there were the Roma gypsies. And we were sitting there talking about loving your neighbor, right? And they, several of them came up afterward and said, now, you don't, you don't mean the Roma, do you? You don't mean the gypsies. We're not, we don't have to love them, do we? That was some deep, 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 long, long-standing hatreds between the Romanians and the Roma, the, the gypsy people. They're, whew, man, it, it, it's rough. Um, and I kept, couldn't help but thinking, even as I thought about this this week, what, what if they just sat down and talked? What, what would have happened? Maybe they would have shot each other. I, I don't know. But maybe they, would have, maybe they would have loved each other and recognized each other's hurts and pains and recognized this is why they say and do the things that they do. Um, so this morning, again, bow your heads um, for a moment. Just let me pray with you. Um, Father, there's so many things, crazy things going on in our world. And, and we, we look at the landscape and we just think, oh, Lord, please come soon. Because things are just getting chaotic. Um, but, Father, you've never let go of the mission. You've never relieved us of the mission. The mission still stands. And it still needs to be completed. Every, every person has to hear the word of Christ. And Lord, we can't be the only person because we simply can't cover all the bases. We need more people. We need people that are just strange as can be because there are some strange people out there that they're going to understand and they're going to connect with. So Father, help us to be not judgmental, but to be careful. Um, but loving and grace-filled when, when different-sounding people come and speak for our Lord and Savior. Father, you say you've got other pens and you've got other sheep. We don't need to worry about those. We, you've got them covered. Um, Father, help us not to bag on them. Help us to love them. Help us to be loving, forgiving, grace-filled uh, with people we just flat-out disagree with. But Lord, give us the courage to sit down and talk with people, eyeball to eyeball, and then come to some conclusions, but not until then. Father, you gave us Richland Church of Nazarene, and you, you gave us a, a mission to reach as many people here in this community for your son as possible. And Lord, there's only about 130, 140 people in here. 
Father, thank you for all the other churches and all the other denominations that I don't 100% agree with. But right now, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people sitting in buildings all over this community, and they're hearing the word of Jesus preached. We can celebrate that, Father. Thank you that there are so many diverse, so many different expressions because there's so many different people. Father, help us to keep our eyes open and our horizons broad. Help us to see everything that you see this morning. Thank you, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so now you know who claims to be our co-workers. The bigger question, are they really our co-workers? We're kind of going to look at that. Um, The Apostle Paul wrote a letter um, to the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth was an absolute basket case of a church. Um, But in that that letter, he gives us some really, really timely and sage advice and guidance with this question, who are really our our, our co-workers? Um, I'm going to start with our key passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 again. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. Did you notice anything so far? Just in the way I highlighted it, right? Everyone goes, yeah, yeah, you highlighted two different words. Very good, Pastor. Um, here's the deal. Um, the we and the you are two different groups of people. Um, you're not the we. <laughs> you're the you, and I'm actually the we. We'll explain that as we get into this. And most folks lump the you and the we together and kind of apply it to themselves, but that's really um, not the case. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's set this up for you. Uh, we'll tell you about the mess at Corinth. Again, Corinth was kind of like a Las Vegas and San Francisco um, for many of you, maybe the whole state of California, just all rolled into one little hell. Just be quiet. California's fine. For me, it's like maybe the state of New Jersey, right? Like, who wants to be there, right? Um, Just a morally reprehensible place to be and live. And on top of all that, um, he had a really lousy, kind of a contentious relationship with the the, the Corinthian um, church. One of the key issues is he didn't display the usual preferred characteristics of great messengers with great messages. Apparently, he wasn't very eloquent, right? He didn't look very good as a speaker. We hear maybe he stuttered. We have all these kind of a little bit of pieces of information. Um, You know, apparently some leaders um, had it and others didn't, um, including Paul. Uh, To the Jews, they they loved to hear great speakers who had great messages. They should come with signs and wonders. That's what Jesus did, right? Paul, where are your signs and wonders? Um, To the Gentiles, they kind of liked the eloquence and the rhetorical rhetoric skills and the the speaking skills, um, particularly when presenting arguments and tenets of a brand new religion. And that's what Paul was doing, explaining not necessarily a new religion, but a new way of viewing God, a different way of viewing God. And he just wasn't eloquent. He didn't have the speaking skills. So people kind of looked down on him and thus they looked down on the message and figured uh, the message must not be um, anything important. Again, some parent leaders had it. um, Paul didn't. And this was causing division in the church. So in chapter 1, verse 12, he sums up these divisions. Who are these these divisions causing trouble? I'm going to kind of go through them um, rather quickly. I'm going to introduce each party. This is in chapter 1, verse 12. It says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. So we'll start with Apollos. A very brief sketch of him in Acts chapter 18. If you want to do that as your homework, don't do it now. Focus, focus. Um, He's actually a really, really good guy. He sounds like just an amazing guy. Paul speaks very, very highly of him. But we do know that he's from Alexandria. 
right? I mean, Alexandria had become the center of a, of a way of interpreting Scripture that we would find very, very odd. I mean, there's a little bit of this going on today, Kabbalah. Um, there's a Sufi, if you're, well, you won't be in this room if you're a Muslim. Um, there are aspects of a lot of the world religions that are very mystical, um, very much... Um, you kind of starve yourself and, and you kind of almost try to get into a trance so that you can hear and kind of see God more, more clearly. Um, this is kind of what it was called allegorizing, right? And again, we look at what I'm about to explain as what? I remember when I first heard about it, I looked at my pastor who was teaching the class. It's like, are you kidding? This was, this was okay? And he said, yes, this was very acceptable. And more than likely, this is the way Apollos interpreted scripture. I'm going to give you, this is in Genesis chapter 14. Hit that next slide there. This is what they would do in, in the school of Alexandria. It was called the school of Alexandria. There was a school in Antioch and they did things a little bit differently. <coughs> but in the school of Ani uh, Alexandria, it was very intellectual, very intellectually driven. You, 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 you strove for super, super deep, deep, almost impossible meanings from the simplest, most direct scriptures that you could ever find. For example, this is something that they did. This is a for real example. Um, in Genesis chapter 14, when Abram heard that his relative Lot, right, had been taken captive, he called out 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, here's what the allegorizers would do. The Greek for 18, the Greek letters used, the Greeks use letters as symbols for numbers. So the, the Greek for 18 is iota followed by eta, two Greek letters, which are happen to be the first two letters of the name of Jesus in Greek, I, iota and eta. And the Greek for 300 is the letter tau, which is in the shape of a cross. Therefore, this Old Testament incident is a foretelling of the crucifixion of Jesus on his cross. Now, you think I stretch for uh, interpretations. <laughs> These people put me to shame, Mike. They, they stretch it, right? And that's what they got out of this passage is the uh, prediction of the cross of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, my thought too. Um, and, and again, they, they would reach for these, these crazy... And, and whether or not Apollos practiced this very acceptable way of interpreting Scripture, we, we don't know. But more than likely, the crowd that he attracted was drawn to that. And they became known. Hit that next slide there. They became known as the followers of Apollos. And they were intellectuals who were fast-turning Christianity into a philosophy and not a religion. They're accused, the Greeks in Alexandria have been accused of intellectualizing Christianity, kind of taking away the idea that you just, when you believe, you act. You know, those aren't two separate things. But in the Greek world, it quickly became, I'll agree to a bunch of facts, but they shouldn't affect the way I live my life. I will address intellectual propositional statements, but I will not, those shouldn't affect my actual life. So it was very, it was the intellectualizing of, of Christianity. Again, his style just kind of attracted these people. And then there were the Cephians, right? They followed a Hebrew by the name of Cephas. Cephas is Hebrew for Peter. Greek is the Peter. Um, they were basically um, most likely Jews, and they were caught up in trying to teach people, as, as we saw in the letter of the Galatians. And again, Paul wrote many, 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 <laughs> a lot about addressing this idea right here, um, that to become a Christian, you had to first become fully a Jew. You had to follow all the Jewish laws, and then you could become a Christian. Now, Paul fought against that like crazy but as you're going to find out, Paul calls these people his co-workers. 
even though he doesn't disagree. I mean, he doesn't probably agree with almost anything. And finally, the party of Christ. Um, as far as we can tell, they were probably a very small, intolerant, self-righteous little group of people, a very small, rigid sect that had claimed that they were the only true Christians. And the people who follow Paul, they worship Paul. And those who follow Apollos must worship Apollo. We worship Jesus, right? Their only fault was in saying that they belonged to Christ, but acting as if Christ belonged to them. Here's the point. Paul will say in our key passage in 3.9, that these folks are his co-workers. Again, even though we know he disagrees with nearly everything every one of them represents. See, Paul's got a baseline kind of set of principles by which he judges both himself and other speakers he meets in his world, other people representing his Lord and Savior. Listen to this in words. Um, for, for his part, it's, hit that next slide there. Um, for his part, it's grace. Right? That, that's his, like, bottom line benchmark. Um, this is from where I operate. I don't operate out of my intelligence. I don't operate out of my experiences. I don't operate out of anything but God's grace, which means I got something that I did not, could not deserve. It was just given to me. Right? Listen to his words in chapter 3. This is verse 5. It says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Did you catch that, right? As the Lord assigned. It wasn't Paul that decided, this is what I'm going to go preach. The Lord appointed him, gifted him, called him, skilled him, all the other things. And then in verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. Not with human tools, skills, or eloquence. Why? Why not? Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Let me explain that. In the previous verse, verse 16, he had just said, you guys are all divided up. You're following Cephas. You're following Apollo. You're following me. You're following Christ. You're, you're all divided up. Um, and I, I'm really happy that I only baptized a few of you because I have a feeling if I had baptized a bunch of you, you would have elevated me even above Jesus. That's, that's kind of what he's saying. He's not saying don't be baptized. Okay, so don't take this out of context. He's just saying my number one goal, because he does baptize. He baptizes a lot of people in his career. So don't, don't get confused here. He's saying my main calling is preaching the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What in the world does that mean? Again, he's not saying don't use wisdom and eloquence. Use every skill set that God's given you, but don't let your faith depend on whoever presents the most eloquent argument. That's not very smart. And some people have the ability, they're silver-tongued, they'll sell you, right, oceanfront property in Arizona, and you'll buy it. Because they, they just, right, they got that skill. I, I kind of, you know, when I first started pastoring, every article I read, like, oh, I agree with this. And then I would read the exact opposite. Oh, I agree with this. And, and man, I was, I was all over the map. I mean, man, if you'd heard me preaching, you would have just thought this guy's schizophrenic. He's crazy. Looney Tunes, right? Now, as the years went by, I began to recognize, okay, this is a little extreme over here. This is a little extreme over here. I actually don't agree with it. So I kind of, over the years, looked at, and over here, I kind of do, and, and, I, and I began to be able to judge just a little bit whether something was valuable or not. Um, so again, he's not saying don't use wisdom and eloquence, but don't let your message be based on how smart you are or anything like that, um, because this makes the cross irrelevant. 
if you can win me over by an argument, why did Jesus have to die? So when we preach, when I preach, I, I like to hit the fact that Jesus died on the cross. That's something I'd like to have in every one of my sermons. That's something we need to know and understand. Wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, Paul's teaching that the divisions had emerged because the Corinthians taught too much about human wisdom and knowledge and too little about the sheer grace of God. Remember, for his part... He kept that right in front of him. I preach by the grace of God. I don't preach because I appointed myself. I don't preach because I'm eloquent. I don't preach because I'm wise. I don't preach for any other reason but because God said, you, go preach. And I'll tell you what, when God told me to be a preacher, I, I'll say this as carefully as I can, but I thought he was Looney Tunes crazy. I'm not a very, I'm, I, don't, I don't fit the mold. I don't fit, and, and I just, fit, I remember having this big, long discussion with God. I said, look, if, if I'm going to do this, you got to let me be me, right? I can't be... Slick back, I, you know, <laughs> that's not going to work. Um, I, I got to be able to, to be me. And, and, and I felt like God saying, go for it. You will be able to talk to people that other people won't be able to talk to. You'll be able to relate in ways that other people won't. And I said, okay, then I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll go and do this thing. So back to our original question, who are our coworkers? Who's right and correct and by how much? How do we know and what should our stance and our posture be amidst the various messages and all the talk? Now here's Paul's benchmark. Remember his benchmark for himself was what? Grace, 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 grace. Now how does he evaluate somebody else's message? As long as they preach Jesus crucified and risen, he didn't really care. Apollos preached Christ crucified and risen. Didn't matter that he had kind of a crazy interpretative skill or science. It just didn't matter to Paul. As long as he taught Jesus crucified and Jesus risen. That, 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 that's everything. Listen to this. This is in verse 18, chapter 1. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And then in verse 22, picking up again, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We don't preach the millennium. We don't preach all the other things that we could be talking about, women in ministry, you know, gay clergy, blah, 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 blah. We could go on all day. Just preach Christ crucified. Let him, I'll get to that. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jew and Greek, and I've thrown in these two words, re-preach, that's not there, but it makes better sense of the sentence. We preach Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is strange, stronger than human strength. Here's what Paul's saying to us. If we focus on the various methods or the teachings or, the, in fact, even the individuals, if we put our focus on all that, then we not only sin against God, but we sin against all of God's coworkers. Because Paul says that these people you saw in there, the Cephians, the followers of Apollos, right, the... All of the different groups, they're his co-workers. They're people, in his opinion, they're people appointed by God, and then you sit there and say, no. You've sinned against God and all of the teachers who don't teach like you want to be taught. They don't teach the things that you believe, but they represent Christ. They represent Christ. Doesn't matter what their message is, all the details, as long as Christ crucified and Christ risen. 
And what if they do? What if their preaching is Looney Tunes theology? What if we, what if we look at somebody and go, whoa, time out. Don't say things like that because that's nuts. Do we have any kind of advice from Paul? What do we do about that? I love this. This is great. In chapters 2 and 3, Paul tells us why it's so incredibly counterproductive and pointless to even spend your time in evaluating some of these other speakers. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Again, powerful, powerful words. Not based on his arguments, but based on what God told him to say. Bam. God's power. And then in verse 9 and 10. What no eye has seen and what no ear has heard. What no human mind has conceived. The things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Not by somebody explaining it. Although we do need those people desperately. Because that's me. <laughs> in other words, the Spirit of God will decide who's right and correct, and we don't have to worry about that. And then in chapter 3, he adds, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. I didn't lead anybody. I introduced Jesus, and his Spirit took it from there. Now, I might have kept on talking. More than likely, they stopped listening, but, but the Spirit was different. It spoke into their lives. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. All those people, including Paul, they're nothing but only God who makes things grow. In fact, in one parable, the disciples, they wanted to deal with the false teachers, right? The tares. And Jesus says, no, leave them there. My father in heaven at the right time will take care. You got other things to worry about. Stop worrying about other teachers. Just do what I've asked you to do. Preach my son. Just preach my son. And in fact, uh, in the book of Acts, the Pharisees are arguing what to do with Jesus. Right? And Gamaliel, he's a real respected uh, Pharisee. Um, he says this. He says this in Acts chapter 5, verse 38 and 39. Leave these men alone. And this is, this is really his message as we look at some of these people that we don't agree with. Leave those people alone. Stop bagging on them. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Because it's not being led by the spirit, the spirit of truth. It's just being led by their wisdom, human wisdom. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop those men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So y'all can continue to go kicking on them and bagging on them. And every time you, you know, oh, he's that, he's this. And I, I, I participate in that just a little bit. Um, but I think Paul's and I think Christ is saying, you know what? Stop it. These are your coworkers. You don't have to agree with them. You just preach what I've told you to preach. You worry about that only. And a final hedge by God to protect us from false teachings. I considered just the last verse, but what I want you to do, I'm going to read the whole passage. Um, and just let this wash over you if you've got an overly anxious heart and you, you feel like Pastor Jerry's asking me to like people that I don't like and I don't want to like. I, I just want you... Just let his words wash over you. This is from Second Peter, and I'm going to start chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, 
And if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, you feeling it, Bill? And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, and in the parentheses, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the, <coughs> by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despair despise authority. We don't have to worry about the false preachers. We don't have to get online and trash them. Don't. Right? I, I don't know who they're speaking to, but they must be speaking somehow. And if they're not speaking for Christ, he's got it. This passage says, don't worry. God's got this thing, right? Stop. Just let your hearts rest. Be still and know that he's God. You're not. Back to our key passage. For we are God's co-workers. We are co-workers in God's service. The we are all the teachers and the preachers, all the denominations, the Kanye West, the Joel Osteens, the Brian Welches, the Gary Buseys, the John MacArthur's, the Beth Moores of the world. That's the we. Paul says that we're not rivals. These folks aren't our rivals. They're not my rivals. The Reformed theology, they're not my rival even though I'm definitely Wesleyan Armenian. Those words, some of you are like, yeah, that's whatever. Paul says that we're not rivals. In fact, we are nothing more than under rowers. I love this phrase. Um, Paul writes this when he, he, he's, he's, he's describing his conversion in Acts chapter 26. He's describing his conversion to uh, uh, one of the governors. And, and he says this. When Christ knocked him off his horse, and Christ says, now, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you, he's appearing to Paul, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see. Now, there's about a half a dozen different ways that servant is translated in the New Testament. There's a whole doulos, uh, daikonos. I mean, there's a whole bunch of Greek words, um, but the word, that, that, this is my new favorite. Um, and here's what it means in this passage. The Greek word is huperetes, <laughs> huperetes, um, and it means under rower. How many of you saw Ben-Hur growing up, right? Ben-Hur, right? Um, uh, uh, Moses, um, he ends up um, below decks, sitting on a bench, chained to his oars, right? And the man up at the front would say, what? Row and live. You stop rowing and you're going to die. <laughs> I will dump you overboard. Row and live. Row and live. Under rowers remained anonymous, an unseen force propelling the boat. A reminder that my goal is to magnify Jesus, not myself, and not even my own church's distinctives. My job is to teach Christ. I don't get to choose whom God seats next to me on that bench. God tells me, row and live. I don't get to sit in judgment of the people that he sits next to me on that bench. He says, Jerry, row and live. You want to start messing with all this other stuff? It's not going to be pretty. Jerry, just row and live. Don't worry about the people you're sitting next to. Row and live. And what about the you in our passage? For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You, Kanye West's people, Joel Olstein's 55,000 people at Lakewood, um, 
followers of Paul, followers of Apollo, all of the followers are the you in this passage. And the teachers, the we, plant seeds in God's field. And really, as you look at it, it's really um, a better word, God's farm, right? You are God's farm. The preachers, we, we cast seed, and you guys grow into mature followers of Jesus Christ. You're, you're his field. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah? No? Huh? You're all God's field in which co-workers sow the gospel field. Now, two thoughts jump to mind. Can you imagine, and this is going to be a rough question, can you imagine if the salvation of the world was dependent on Richland Nazarene Church? What would be our predicament? The world would be in a pretty bad shape. Can I just say that? If the world were dependent on our little church here, even if the world were dependent on the worldwide church of the Nazarene, we, the world would be in bad shape. We can't reach all the people. We, we simply can't. We have so many other people. God says, I've got so many other people working with me. I've called so many. You Nazarenes, you guys got a distinctive, right? And, and lean into that because it's victorious and people want to be victorious. So lean into that entire sanctification. Don't leave it sitting. But recognize that there are plenty of other preachers preaching other things, other truths. And let them preach those truths. So that's the first thought that jumps out of mind. I remember a professor told me when I was getting ordained, he said, um, the denominations are kind of like scaffolding. And, and heaven is like this going to be this incredible building. And the, 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 the many denominations, um, not that they're at war with each other, but they're actually all serving the same purpose. They're all scaffolding. And when Christ returned, all the scaffolding that is necessary for our brokenness will all fall away. And just truth and spirit will remain. We won't need all the different speakers anymore because all of us will speak truth. We won't have to decipher the truth through culture and through baggage and through all the other stuff that sometimes when somebody odd comes with a message of Christ, we look at them and go, you're not a very eloquent speaker. Right? We kind of judge them like that. Now, here's the second thought. Can you imagine Kanye West preaching here? Hit that next picture. Maybe you guys would love it. Maybe we need to, we need to bring that kind of music in here. Um, and I started to imagine me preaching at one of his services. And all I could think about was this passage from Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I promise you, if I tried to go preach the Kanye West crowd, they would tear me to pieces because there would be no connection. Like, who is this clown, right? And Kanye comes walking in here. People are going to have difficulties with him. That's just all there is to it. Because we would both have to, all, both crowds would have to experience something in order to get past all the baggage that we have about people. Now, again, there's nothing, neither audience would appreciate either speaker in the wrong context. Both sides would need to experience something for the message to make sense. I listened to a podcast by Leonard Sweet. Some of you might have heard him. He's a big writer. Don't agree with him all the time. But he made several statements pertinent to our discussion. I want to share these statements with you in closing. He says, I'm less concerned about the decline of Western culture and Western Christianity than I am about the missing Jesus in Western churches. All we talk about is people don't go to church anymore. The bigger question is, are they talking about Jesus at church? That should be our concern is what he's saying. And when it comes to alternative style messages and messengers and teachings that we don't always agree with, um, he kind of gives advice similar to Gamaliel and the Pharisees. He says this, it's easy to take a stand, 
right? It's hard to take a hike. It's easy to take a stand against people, but it's hard to walk alongside them. And he's challenging us, instead of taking a stand, to take a hike with somebody, to walk beside them, to have a conversation with them, to look them in the eye and realize, oh, that's why. I, I get it now. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Right? You ever have that kind of conversation with somebody? You say something really, really stupid, and then you find out, and you're just like, oh, I didn't know hard to walk alongside somebody. He says this, in the kingdom of heaven, we're going to have generals and pacifists worshiping God in the same pew. We're going to have, Repu <coughs> we're going to have Republicans and Democrats worshiping God in the same pew. This is how early Christianity began is around the table. We've got to bring back the table. He says the key about a meal around a table is the sobre mesa time. I kind of threw that in our, 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 our title, and I expected you all to go home and look it up. It's basically the Spanish tradition that involves sitting around the table after the heavy meal is over and just chatting for an hour or two, just enjoying each other's company. You all gathered together. You enjoyed the fruits of, of, of your labor, the harvest, and now let's just sit back and enjoy each other's company, find out each other's stories, laugh when we, when we tell the fish stories, and it was this big and it was only this big. And that, that's what we do, that, that, that sober mesa time. And it's interesting. It says this in Luke 22, chapter 20. Get that. It says that after supper, he took the cup. Leonard Sweet says, in some ways, the last supper is kind of a sober mesa time, he says. And that's where we've got to bring diverse people together around the table. This is the place where we need to bring people not like us. Are we doing that? Now, the goal is not to go out and find somebody as radically different from you as possible, but the goal is not to be afraid of somebody who's different than you. They're people, they've lived a life, they've been hurt, they've been loved, and they want to be heard, they want to be understood. And that's what we can do. We can sit and listen to them around a table. I want to close with this challenge for us. Let's take the focus off ourselves and focus on the common goal that all these pastors, they'll claim Jesus. Let's just preach Jesus. Let's just talk about Jesus. Don't get into all the crazy stuff. Let's just talk about Jesus. <laughs> and he just has a way of fixing things. He just, because he's God. Do y'all bow your heads? Father, thank you. Thank you that you've, we don't have to worry about all this stuff. Lord, you know we do, and we get all wrapped up. We get all our panties in a bunch, and, and Lord, you just say, relax, stop it. <laughs> Be still and know that I am God. I got everything under control. All I need you to do is love people. Love your neighbor, no matter how different, no matter how radically different they are, just love them. Then I've got a foothold, and if you don't love them, then Satan's going to get a foothold. Folks, all I'm asking, all God is asking is give him a foothold. Father, help us, help us to do that in our lives and in the people we meet, our neighbors who are so different from us and they believe such crazy things. Lord, if we just love them, then we, we start talking and we find out things and truth emerges and we find freedom. Thank you, Father, for Paul and his message. Um, that we do have a task in front of us and God has called a whole bunch of people to help us out and we need to learn to work alongside them. Father, give us that love. Give us that grace and that mercy. Thank you, Father, in your son's name I pray. Amen. Folks, have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for being here.